And so um, you will recall over the last few sessions in which I have ministered the Word of God, I have, we looked extensively at Romans chapter 6. We looked at, the, um, at what we call the reckoning in Scripture, consider yourselves dead indeed to sin. And then we looked at the further practical instructions of Paul in the, uh, uh, the f- verses further there in chapter 6 in terms of presenting ourselves, our bodies, as members and instruments of righteousness unto holiness. And so there is the uh, practical pursuit of holiness, the perfecting of holiness, Christian maturity, all these interchangeable terms, I guess, that you could uh, find within the scriptures. But the exhortation is something that requires from us choice. It requires from us effort. And so uh, building on this, I was, uh, wanted to share with you uh, some further instructions that relate to the issue of uh, God's righteousness and holiness in regards to practical, practical living that is found within uh, uh, Romans chapter 13. And so we will consider some scriptures in a moment. But let me just first uh, 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 bring to your attention that... Um, Oh, by way of illustration, uh, the, uh, who here has a hard time waking up in the morning? Eh? Okay. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to name names and I don't want to embarrass anybody. But, um, <laughs> okay, Jerry says he's one. You know, there are some people, the alarm goes off and it's like, bang, you know, they're up or some don't even need an alarm. And so, um, and then there's others, the alarm goes off and they're like, <gasps> And then they have their alarm with modern technology, you know, so uh, with every minute, beep, beep, beep. And they, they, they don't get up, beep, beep, beep. And this can go on for like, well, can go on for a long, long time from my experience and observation. And so sometimes when a person's in that state, you just feel like you get so sick of hearing the alarm. Turn it off. I won't name names. Turn it off. And so everyone, and then you just want to go in the room and I want to get that person and shake them and just go, wake up! You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, um, kind of that sets the tone for us spiritually this morning. <laughs> and so, uh, in that sense in which uh, we as Christians, figuratively, spiritually speaking, uh, as well, we can fall into a state of stupor, sleepiness, uh, and in which sometimes uh, we find, or we do find, exhortations within the scripture to wake up. Wake up. Snap out of it. Come to your senses. Because when you first wake up and you're not fully awake, you're in a state of stupor. You know, you're not really switched on. Uh, you know, you're not really engaging all of your senses and so forth. And so, the exhortation of the Bible is to be alert, wake up, be sober in our minds. And so we want to consider these thoughts as we find them in the Scriptures. And so uh, maybe a good turtle, uh, title could be Wake Up, Sleepy Christian, I don't know. But, um, but nevertheless, the call of the Bible is to wake up. And this applies firstly, uh, obviously, to the sinner. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, we find the scripture refers to to these words when Paul writes and he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you life. 
Now that is in relation to the gospel. That's in relation to being saved, being born again, coming to experience the, the, the forgiveness of God and coming into the light and experiencing the light of God, a life of God in which, amen, uh, we, are, uh, we are now made alive in Christ Jesus. We have woken up from sin. We've woken up out of death, spiritually speaking, and are now alive and awake uh, in Christ Jesus. So that's that first aspect. But then there's that which applies to the child of God this morning. That which applies to the Christian. And so we find uh, the Bible has various exhortations as we will discover. Uh, but the, the truth of the matter is, is that Christians can fall asleep. Christians can fall asleep. It was a, a song that I used to listen to as a young Christian by Keith Green. And he said, the, um, the world is sleeping in the dark. But the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. And so if we're not careful, we can fall asleep as Christians and not be as awake as we should be, alert as we should be, and as sober-minded as we should be when it comes to the issue of living the Christian life and also as it relates to our conduct and way of life. And so uh, let's look at our scripture in Romans chapter 13, and we're going to read in verse 11. And do this, says Paul the Apostle, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness, let us put on the armour of light, let us walk properly as in the day, and not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfil its lusts. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the word of God this morning. I pray, Father, that your word would, Lord, light be a light that shines. Sharper it is than a two-edged sword. Divide, God, to the soul and spirit as only your word can. And I commit, Lord, this message uh, to, into your hands and your people. And I trust, Lord, that you would speak to us all. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, it's clear that Paul here is giving us practical instructions and exhortations in living the Christian life. And so he's telling us and exhorting us into obedience. And, uh, and he says in verse 11, and do this. He doesn't say maybe you should do this. Oh, look, if you can, can you do this? <laughs> no, and do this is what he's telling us as he writes under the inspiration of God, and he says these words, knowing the time. You see, Christian, we must understand the times in which we live. And so the Bible says, know the time. 
And so when we think about that, we are, as we consider the dispensations of time from the beginning of creation and the plan and purpose of God in redemption, we have now Christ Jesus who came into the world and saved sinners. And here we are now 2,000 years beyond that time. And so the Bible says, know the time. Knowing the time. We are in the last days and we have been in the, for the last 2,000 years. And so we would do well to understand that, that what is coming, uh, amen, as we live this world, we're sojourners, we're pilgrims, we're passing through. Our destination is heaven. And that is our home. And so this world, uh, is, in that sense, is not something in which we live for and strive for. And so we know the time in which we live. And so not only are we in the last days, but we understand the prophecies of the Bible. We understand the time and, and plans of God as it relates to that which is ahead because there's a day coming, as we know, in which God's wrath will be poured out, in which judgment is coming. And the, the great tribulation is forthcoming and awaits. And so we are awaiting our redemption, praise the Lord. And so knowing the time in which we live, that it is the last days, we have to be even more alert and understand uh, what is going on. But not only that, Paul says, listen, look, at, he says, knowing the time, that now it is high time. So not only do we know in a general sense the times in which we live, but Paul says, but understand this, it's high time. It's the day, it's the hour, it's now, it's this instant. And so we find when God calls us, that is how it works. It's now. Now is the day of salvation. Now, today, if you hear his voice. Now it's the hour. It's high time. And it's always high time when God's speaking to us. Amen? You see, knowing, do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. So th the truth is, is that Christians can fall asleep. I mean, let's just, uh, if you can, just go to Mark in Mark's Gospel, chapter 13, and we find Jesus here speaking. And in verses, uh, verse 32, Jesus, um, verse 32, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave his authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming in the evening at midnight at the crowing of the rooster or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. So the exhortation of Scripture is to stay awake. And the, the, the warning is don't fall asleep. And so this is, again, this is being reiterated in principle here by Paul when he speaks these things in, uh, in our text, when he's telling us, knowing the time, that it is high time to awake out of sleep. It's now, it's high time. You see, that word awake in verse 11, awake, 
It's, uh, it, it, it means to arouse out of a stupor, to come to one's senses, in the sense from drunkenness. So, you know, if you've seen people who are under the effect or influence of alcohol or intoxicated or whether it be drugs or whatever the case may be, but their, their mind is not fixed and uh, they're not in a, their right mind as such. They're in a state of stupor and the Bible is calling us in a spiritual sense to, to, to be alert, to wake up and not be so intoxicated uh, to the, in the, of the things of this world to the point where we are neglecting uh, the word of God and the purpose of God and so forth. To awake out of sleep, to arouse to reality. That's the call of the Bible. It's it's high time to awake out of sleep. You see, when we're in a state of stupor, when we do uh, fall into a state of sleep, uh, sleepiness, the, uh, the, the consequences are such that the mind and the senses become dulled. And, that, and in doing so, one can't act properly, one can't think properly, one can't think soberly, one can't uh, conduct themselves accordingly to that which God is requiring of us. And so the aim is you have to be awake. You see, when, when, the, when the, uh, the Greek word for sleep literally means to, um, to be under. And so that's what happens. You know, we go to sleep. We don't have a sense of consciousness of what's going on around us, do we? We're asleep. And so, because we're under, so to speak. And so, you know, even when they want to do an operation, they'll put it on an anesthetic. They want, you put, they want to put you under. And so that you, the, the senses are all numbed and you don't even feel that they're cutting you open. Could you imagine if you were awake? You'd be going, ah! But now you're asleep and you don't even feel the thing. And so that's what can happen Spiritually. So in, in, with sin in our lives, the, the things, are, the way in which we're living and conducting ourselves, uh, they, they, uh, because uh, our, our conscience is seared and our heart is hardened, uh, we don't even feel it. We become cauterized. And yet we, we should be so sensitive. If we were awake, we would be sensitive to these things, that the damage these things can do to us uh, and so forth in which the, the way we, which we live and conduct ourselves. You see... Paul wrote to, uh, in Hebrews chapter uh, 5, the, the Christians were guilty of falling spiritually asleep because Paul, uh, is in Hebrews 5 verse 11, he says that they have become dull of hearing. Dull of hearing. In other words, this is a, a same reflective. They've become to, you know, they haven't progressed in the Christian life to maturity. Though they should be teachers by now, they still need someone to teach them the elementary principles of Christ. And he says, You've, I can't even explain to you the deeper things of God. I can't go through some of the glorious truths within, that are contained in the Word because your state of mind is, is you are sleepy, you are dull in your spiritual senses, and you can't can't digest these truths. And so what's he saying? Wake up. Go on to perfection or go on to maturity. You know, as I was studying this and just looking at it scripturally and pondering some of these aspects, I realised, you know, that if we remain in a continual state of disobedience and we refuse to listen to God, you know, God can put us to sleep. <laughs> 
And I don't just mean physically, because, you know, many, Paul says many sleep in Corinthians. They were dying because of their, uh, of their disobedience to God. But also I thought about God can make us spiritually blind to the truth. And so I thought of Israel uh, and the way in which God dealt with them. And in the book of Isaiah, in chapter 6, when God commissions Isaiah the prophet to go to the children of Israel, he says to them, you're going to go and preach and speak to a people. And he says, listen, this is going to be the nature. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10, he says this to Isaiah, make the heart of this people dull. This is a form of judgment. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes. Isn't that great? Okay, Isaiah, you're going to go and this is your purpose. And you're going to pronounce judgment upon them and you're going to, uh, by you speaking to them, you're going to make their heart dull, you're going to make their ears heavy and you're going to shut their eyes. Put them into a spiritual sleepiness as part of my judgment upon them. And you think about that, where is it that we see that fulfilled even further? And you, where is it? With Christ himself. Because he is now the Messiah, he's come and he's presented himself to the nation, to the, to the Jews, and they have rejected his testimony as the, as the, the, uh, the Messiah. And so what, is, what happens in, 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 the, in the Gospels, in Matthew 13, we find that uh, Matthew quotes Isaiah, this scripture, as a result, and so what we find is as they rejected the testimony of Christ, God put them spiritually to sleep. And he says, I'm going to speak in parables because I'm going to reveal the, the kingdom of God to you, but to them, I'm putting them to sleep. That's scary. <laughs> because we can get to a point where we think we're awake, but we're, we're not. That's, and, and again, that's, a, that's an extreme case, but we can't discount it because that's the reality we find in Scripture. But God, in the process of that, he sends his prophets to warn us, to call us back, to plead with us, to repent, to get it right in his grace and mercy, obviously. But these are just some of the things we find in the Scripture. So now, when God speaks, it's always now is a day of salvation. People say, oh, I'll put it off to another time. No, now is the day of salvation. Now it is time. Today, if you hear his voice, this is always how it works. When God gives you light, he's giving it to you for a reason. He's trying to wake you up, so to speak. But if you want to stay asleep, God says, fine. Stay asleep. So we have Paul in verse 11, and do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believe. Or that is our final deliverance. You know, we've been saved, church, but you know, we're going to be saved from this body. Praise the Lord. Jesus is coming back. That's why we are continually looking up for, uh, uh, for his appearing, because we're looking for our final salvation. Amen? Thank God we're saved now, but still, we are still in the process of our final salvation, which we await eagerly. Amen? We groan for this, the Bible says, or at least we should be. But if you're asleep, you can't. So look at verse 12. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. 
And so this is the exhortation. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armour of light. Cast off the works of darkness. And so we're dealing now with these issues of what's right and what is wrong. Paul's telling us to walk in the light, to live in the light. That we don't, the night is far spent now. We're in Christ and the day is at hand. And so let us now, let us put on the armour of light. This is the first time we find this word, armour. Because we understand that the Christian life is a, is a battle, is it not? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And we have in Ephesians and in other places uh, this reference to armour. So the armour of light. That is what's going to help us to, to walk in a manner that is acceptable and pleasing unto God. We have to walk in the light as he is in the light. And we have to, as Paul says, let us put on the armour of light. He goes into verse 13 when he says, Let us walk properly as in the day. Let us walk properly as in the day. And now again, again, we, we are of the light, church. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. But now we are in the light. We are light in the Lord, the Bible says. And so we must walk in light. We uh, put on the armour of light. We are children of the day. And so, uh, and again, this is not talking in the physical sense of night and day, although it has a little bit of an aspect to it, because we know what happens at night, don't we? That's when everyone's up to mischief. Well, you know, generally speaking. But you see, uh, for us, we're being told that as Christians, we are now in the light. We are of the Lord. And so we are now children of the light. So we are, let us walk Properly. Let us walk properly. The word here means honestly and decently. Let us conduct ourselves in a manner that is worthy and honourable and so that when people look at our lives, we are above reproach. That They can't say, well, the Christians don't do that because they're quick to do so, aren't they? And so walk properly. See, the idea is, is that there's an improper way and there's a proper way. There's a righteous way, there's an unrighteous way. There's right and there's wrong. There's holy and unholy. And we have to navigate through this. We have to make the choices and we have to pay close attention to these things. Not just be haphazard because if we are, we'll end up falling asleep. You see, we, Paul says, let us walk properly. As in the day, and then he says, not in, in revelry and drunkenness. You know, we don't, the Christians aren't out of partying at nightclubs. The Christians don't go into these places in which the world uh, hangs out. We are not to, to identify with them. So we must walk properly, not in revelry, not in drunkenness. Christians should never be intoxicated. Never.
You see, we have to ask ourselves, it says here, uh, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, meaning sexual immorality and lust, because that's what people of the dark do, don't they? They feed their flesh and their sensual pleasures and their desires and they walk after the flesh and they live in sin and they walk in this manner and they walk and it says, Paul says also, not in strife and envy. This is the ways of the world, but this is not to be our ways this morning. We are not to be seen and identified in any way with these things. Walk properly, Paul says. Let us walk properly. Are you, telling, are you judging me, Pastor? The Word of God judges us, church. See, let us go further. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 33, you know, Paul is saying, well, you know, in verse actually 32, he says, that if it's just about this world, he says, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. That's the attitude of the world in verse 32. But let's look at verse 33. He says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness. And do not sin, for some of you do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. They're heavy words. So Paul, again, is laying us for a principle. And how often when you, uh, you as a pastor, you preach uh, these, the word of God and you teach these things as a parent, you speak to your children and you reiterate these things and people say over and over, yes, yes, but I'm telling you that said for good reason, don't be deceived. Evil company or hanging around with the, the wrong people will corrupt your good habits that you have established in Christ or have been raised with through Christian home or whatever the case may be. But if you are hanging around with the wrong people, it will, you'll say, oh, well, I'm all right. I'm not going to do what they do. Yes, the moment you make those little compromises, mark it down. You will, you're on a path. And because the corruption comes in, leaven leavens the lump, church. This is a biblical principle. You can't avoid it. That's why Paul says evil company will corrupt good habits. It will eat away a good godly character. It will diminish our testimony unto the Lord and it will uh, corrupt you in terms of your holy and righteous life before the Lord. And Paul says, as a result of, uh, don't be deceived, he's pleading with them, because that's what happens, people get deceived, they think, oh, it's okay, I'm, un, I'm in control, I've got this. No, you haven't. Then he says in verse 34, reiterating again what we're looking at this morning, awake, awake to righteousness, snap out of it, of this stupor uh, of deception, and wake up. Awake to righteousness. Awake unto holiness. And do not sin, is what he says. Do not sin. And then he says, for some of you do not have this, the knowledge of God. And I speak this to your shame. See, they will say, oh, that's a, bit, that's a bit harsh, Paul. He's telling them that if they don't understand this truth and this godly principle 
and, and they don't have this knowledge of God. He says that it's a shame unto them, one, that, that they don't have it, or two, that they're not living it. Because, you see, the fact is, is that Christians, if we are not living right, let me, let me rephrase this. Is it wrong to feel shame? No. Okay. It depends. It's context. You see, if we are in sin and we don't feel shame, something's wrong. You see, Paul is saying that uh, I say this to your shame because he's t- what he's trying to tell them is there's a, that, that, that the, the bad company has corrupted your good habits and you're living and conducting yourself in a manner that is unacceptable to God. And I'm saying this to your shame, or in other words, you need to be ashamed of this. And as a result of that, uh, that see, th- see, this is the problem we have in, cr- in the world and it's incorporated into the church, is we want to somehow buffer people from shame. Oh, don't feel shame. No, no, because shame leads to repentance and repentance leads to cleansing. Okay? So we must have shame. You mustn't protect them. It's actually, you know what? When we try and protect people from shame, we are hindering the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart of an individual. Because the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin. Convict them. Tell them they're false. Let them feel the shame that they have broken God's law, that every mouth may become uh, guilty, every mouth may be stopped, and everyone in the whole world will become guilty before God. That they would be ashamed. You see, because this is the precursor to grace. And it's in this state when we begin to realize this is wrong because we've been deceived. We've been thinking it's not that bad, it's okay. No, the reality, we've woken up and we see the reality and we feel the shame. But you know what? This is where God comes and he says, now you can have my grace. Now I will give you mercy. And when we call upon God in this state of brokenness, God comes, amen, and he cleanses us from all sin. This is what salvation is. And this is why even for the Christian, the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we confess our sins. It says if we confess our sins. It's conditional. If we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. But the moment we try and continue to cover, well, without holiness, you cannot see the Lord. That's another application here of Hebrews. So, we find these scriptures. You know, I'll just touch on this briefly. I don't want to go into it up here. But I'll open it up because it's probably everywhere. <laughs> Everyone, people will be talking about it, but the Kanye West issue. And so um, uh, let me say this. I've, I've watched a lot. I've been following this personally. And I don't want to go into all the details here. But one question was asked to him in an interview. And he said, that, you know, in light of everything that he's done, he said, are you ashamed of anything that you've done? And he said, no. And I said, well, that's not right. Paul says in Ephesians 6, we looked at this last time, of those things for which we're now ashamed of. 
you know what? I'm ashamed of what I did before as a Christian. I'm ashamed of things I've done as a Christian. But that doesn't mean I live in shame. There's a, there's a difference. Because God, when he cleanses us and he washes us, uh, we, he removes the shame. See, shame is, uh, God's forgiveness is such that God can't remove, we can never remove the, the memories of our sin. Okay, you can't. But God heals us from the effects of sin. And in doing so, he heals our heart and, uh, and he heals our emotions. So that when we think back, even though, yes, I, that was terrible, I'll never, you know, uh, I always remember that and it was how wrong it was. But, th- but thank God. And then we can speak with confidence and assurance that, you know what, I am forgiven, I'm cleansed now, I'm ashamed of it, but I don't live in shame, I don't bear that shame anymore because Jesus has done, dealt with it. Hallelujah. So, so Paul is saying, uh, I speak this to your shame, and he's saying this because he wants them to realise their error and he wants them to get right and then move on. So, let's look one other scripture if we can in First Thessalonians chapter one. First Thessalonians chapter one. Now, in verse, so uh, sorry, First Thessalonians chapter five. Sorry about that. And in verse five, Paul says, "He says, you are all sons of the light." And sons of the day, we're not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep. There it is again. Don't fall asleep. As others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate, of faith and love. There's another analogy, reference to the armour, the breastplate of love, faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. God has not appointed us to wrath. We're saved. We, we, we've got, that's why it's an armour of light, amen, because the enemy wants to bring shame. But we are washed, we are cleansed. And there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so, but here Paul is exhorting us again not to sleep but to walk as sons of, the t- our sons of the day, as children of the light. Because, and he says, he says here, be sober. Now think about that, because what does the scripture tell us? Uh, in uh, 1 Peter chapter uh, 5, verse 8, where the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You see, when we fall asleep, we are prime candidate and the enemy sees that we are sleeping or he's putting us to sleep sometimes. And then at the right moment, when we're unawares, unprepared, he pounces and seeks to devour us. He looks around. He's waiting for some Christian just to fall asleep. Light down their guard. Put down their armor. Not walk in the light now, but begin to practice unrighteousness and truth. And then we just become targets for him. That's what the scripture says. So it says, be sober and be vigilant. So, in saying all of that, I want to just conclude. Let's go back to our text, and I just want to find here Paul's final instructions in verse 14. Because he gives us two instructions. And he says in verse 14, But put on 
the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. These are the two instructions that Paul's giving us and so it's important that we understand here what exactly he's telling us to do because what does it mean to put on the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, I mean how do I put on Jesus Christ? <laughs> In a literal sense, like what's that mean? And so you have to understand what Paul is alluding to here and it starts with the very fact that we are, uh, we are in Christ and we are new creations in Christ Jesus. Amen. Old things have passed away, all things have become new, as the scripture tells us. And so being in Christ, we find that this is our position. And so what we also begin to identify and see is that we have been, what does the Bible refer to us as? Having put on the, the garments of salvation. So we've been, we have the garments of salvation. So we've put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, maybe back from there. And so we have put on the Lord Jesus Christ in the positional sense that we have have the garments of salvation. We are clothed with the robe of righteousness. Praise the Lord. This is our position. But now we are exhorted to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is in a practical sense. In other words, now live in this manner. That's why Paul would tell us, as we looked before in Romans 6, he says that the having now been crucified, the old man has been crucified, the Adamic nature, the sinful nature has been put to death, and now we are to walk in the light, we are to walk in the Spirit. Let me illustrate this further, if you could go to Ephesians chapter 4. Now look at verse 17. And again, we'll just read this, but it'll give us a further understanding. We have the positional sense and now the practical sense. Put on the Lord Jesus. In we are, one, we are already in one sense have. That's what Romans 6 is telling us. In the past tense, we have. But now we have to practically do it. So look at uh, verse 17. He says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness and greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to its deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And so it's not just in the positional sense that Paul's exhorting us to, but in the practical sense of Christian living and living a righteous and holy life. Because that's what God requires of us. 
So what does it mean to put on Christ? It means to clothe ourselves with the Lord in terms of embracing the, the principles of truth that are found in the Scripture, imitating the example of Christ because we are being conformed into His image. Uh, it means to uh, copy His Spirit and live as He has lived and become like Him. That's the idea that is behind put on the Lord Jesus Christ. The new man that was created in true righteousness and holiness. And then Paul says, that's the first thing, but it's two part. He says, put on and then make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Now this is important. Make no provision for the flesh. Because this is where the problem lies for the Christian. This is where the problem lies for all of us, sometimes unwittingly. But we have to understand that the Bible tells us that we are to make no provision. Don't give your flesh the opportunity, is what Paul is saying. Starve it. Don't put yourself in situations and circumstances that are only going to arouse your sinful nature. Don't make provision for your flesh. Because if you do, then you're going to feed your flesh and then you're going to enter into a, a severe battle, a civil war, because the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit lusts against the flesh. And so which one's going to gain ascendancy? But if you make no provision for the flesh, then you are on the right track to walking in the spirit. This is what the Bible's teaching us. So don't make provision for the flesh. Now we all, that word provision, we understand it in the, in the good sense because when we're growing up, what do we do? We make provision for our future, don't we? We're always thinking in forethought about our future. So we want to save our money, we want to plan for this, plan for that. And so we, we navigate our lives based on the provisions that we are making and where we want to head. So Paul is saying in the same sense now, but according to the flesh, he says, don't make no provision for it. Just a little bit. <laughs> None. And this is the law of Christ in which we have to walk in. Don't make provision for the flesh. Especially, amen, uh, we, sh uh, we are aware of our weaknesses. The weaknesses of your flesh, the weaknesses of my flesh, they may be different and so therefore uh, a way of conduct and a course of life may be different to another individual but we have to walk in a manner that is acceptable before God so that we are not making provision as it relates to us. We have our weaknesses. So don't put yourself, in other words, in compromising and positions of temptation. Don't do it. Don't make provision for the flesh because the flesh, you let it out of that cage and I tell you, it doesn't fear God. So here's some wisdom. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 16, a wise man fears and departs from evil, but a fool rages and is self-confident. So in other words, the wise man he fears being in a situation that makes him vulnerable or compromising in any way to him. So what does he do? He runs. He departs from it. He, he's out. But the, the fool says, oh, it's all right. I've got this covered. I can handle this. And the Bible says that that level of overconfidence and self-confidence is your downfall. 
Make no provision for the flesh. Oh, look, why are, you, why are you overreacting? You don't have to, you know, be so radical in your approach to this. Can't you just deal with it? Well, no, for this person, it means don't make provision and they have to, the wise man runs. Oh, but I, I'm okay, it doesn't affect me. Well, that's you, but not for the other person. And so rather than tear people down, let's respect what's going on or where they're at or, or why they do what they do. And, and, uh, and so if you conduct yourself in that way, then God bless you. If that's what you have to do, and if it means destroying something, if it means if your right hand causes a sin, cut it off. If you have to be radical, so be it. That's wisdom, the Bible says. Oh, no, that's silly. No, it's not. So make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. So if something's in there that's going to tempt you, then get rid of it. Do away with it. Why have it there and let it just annoy you? So don't give it expression. So the Bible says don't make provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. You see, the exhortation of Scripture is to walk in the Spirit. You know, we won't go there, but you know Galatians chapter 5 where it says the flesh lusts against the Spirit, Spirit lusts against the flesh. They are contrary to one another. They are at war. It's like we're in this civil war sometimes in ourselves. And the Bible says, don't make provision for the flesh. So in other words, the Bible says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So the idea now is to make provision for the spirit. Make sure that you are making provision now for spiritual things. You know, reading your Bible, praying, seeking God, being in fellowship with God's people, the very things that will help maintain a healthy Christian life. Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, but isolate yourself, drift away, hang around with the wrong company and begin, you're on the path. It's only a matter of time. It's not if, but when. You see... And so we have to wake out of sleep is the point that I'm making here. And that's why we, we, what we make provision for is where we receive the blessing from God or the vice versa. That's why in Galatians it says in chapter 6, uh, verse 7, it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. He who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And so if we make provision for the spirit, we, we get blessing. If we make provision for the flesh, then the end is death. And so here is the instructions of the Bible when it comes to righteousness and holiness. And I would say to us to consider these things this morning. And maybe for some it's a, it's, it's a call to wake up. Wake up. Snap out of it. Come to your senses. Watch. Be alert. Be sober-minded. And so let us consider these things in our walk with the Lord this morning. Amen? God bless you all. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the word of God this morning. Father, I just thank you for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, that we have put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are called to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord God, let us understand, again, the, the positional and practical aspects of God, that which relates to our Christian life. And Lord, give us grace. Teach us your ways. And Lord, that we would walk in your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
God bless you all.